I'm your host, Brian Shun. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you are all here because I know you. You may have heard of my story about Korea. You may be parents of adopted children. You may be an adoptee yourself. So I want to just thank you, first of all, for the support to come out today. It's Super Bowl Sunday. So for everybody in the U.S., it's a big day for air, buddy, <laughs> because um, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and that means a lot of things for a lot of food and a lot of things for Americans. Also, it's the Lunar New Year in Korea, I think, Solal. And it's a three-day celebration. Uh, China obviously has a very big Lunar New Year celebration, which honestly, just by the, the recognition of it, you'd probably know about that a little more. Uh, but, you know, lots of Asian countries will, and Korea is no uh, exception to that. So I have the Korean side of life and the American side of life colliding on a day where something's supposed to work and it didn't. But here we are, folks, and um, thank you for uh, listening today. So Josh is my friend, podcast partner. He's as producer. He's kind of off to the side. He may be helping me corral this so it doesn't go terribly long. I just wanted to start off by saying welcome to all the Korean adoptees who are watching. Uh, I'm not looking at my screen. I'm trying to look at the camera. Hello to everybody. Thank you for your support. Uh, many of you I probably got to know over at the Overseas Koreans Agency trip that happened in December, which is the trip we'll talk about a little bit today and the, the ramifications of that, and some other Korean adoptees I've met through the, the Tennessee chapter. So hello, everybody. I want to just give a real quick overview uh, of why... Like how I got here. Some people don't know all of it. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the backstory. What I wanted to do is really focus in on ethnic identity and identity in general. For me, this is a very specific thing. Um, if you know about Korean adoptions, we all ended up in North America, in Europe, and this was because of the Korean War and all the allies of the United States in South Korea, right? They placed them there. There's many stories and other things to be talking about on that topic, but we're not going to talk about that quite today. What we are going to talk about is uh, what that kind of means and the things that somebody like me will go through in terms of thinking about what it means to be yourself. That sounds really funny, and it, I think everybody can relate. Everybody's asking the question, who am I? Where did I come from? And what's the meaning of all this, right? This trip was transformational to me because I got a chance to meet other adoptees and realize that I wasn't alone. It was a very lonely experience. So I wanted to start off uh, kind of entering people into this world a little bit. I came over to the, to the U.S. when I was a year and a week. And Julia Nordoff Hinton was uh, one of the adoptees at the conference, at the Overseas Koreans Agency Conference. And she leads the Korean adoptee group in San Diego. She gave some closing remarks in, uh, that, at that conference. And there was a section especially where she quoted her friend Amanda Friedman. She's an adopted Korean and she had an excerpt from a poem that uh, Amanda wrote called What It Means to Arrive. And I want to share this statement with you so you kind of set it up. Uh, oh. Oh, okay. My wife is giving me notes here. All right. The volume's too loud? Okay. I don't know. Mic level's low on Facebook. All right, let me double check that, folks. Okay. Oh, so Josh, like your microphone apparently can come through. Okay, he's muted it now. Hey, that's uh, Sabrina, my lovely wife, giving me cues here to say that it's uh, <laughs> something's going on. All right. I want to read this poem to you. Uh, if there's still an echo, please let Josh know in the comments. 
and we'll see what's going on here, folks. Uh, here's what it said. It said, uh, this again, a poem, What It Means to Arrive by Amanda Friedman. What happens to a story that starts in chapter two? I was given this text and found the first 18 pages or so ripped from the binding. I know the book belongs to me, but someone else decided I should start at chapter two. We are not writing a new opening, and we might never know how it really began. All I have are frayed ends of pages that belonged there once, trun my thumb along and wonder, what happened here? The question is, who am I? Where did I come from? And what is the meaning of all this, right? That's the question we're here uh, to talk a little bit more about today. I'm getting a few more notes here that you still have an echo. I'm just going to see if I can triage this a little bit, folks. Thanks for standing by. Okay. Test one, two. That may be better, folks. Facebook folks, is that better for you? Gotta get back to the dashboard. Test one, two. Thanks, folks, for... All right. Let's see, folks. Josh, send me a text if everything is still live and going here. Cool. All right, here we go. And the echo's gone, Josh. Text me again, too. I think that solved it. It was my problem, folks. I had speakers on on my computer, which you didn't hear because I had these on. Um, okay, good. There's no echo anymore. This poem, Amanda Friedman, I want to read it again quickly. I'm sorry if the echo was distracting. This is what, what it means to arrive. What happens to a story that starts in chapter 2? I was given this text and found the first 18 pages or so ripped from the binding. I know the books belong to me, but someone else decided I should start at chapter 2. We are not writing a new opening, and we may never know how it really began. All I have are frayed ends of pages that belong there once to run my thumb along and wonder what happened here. You know, uh, this is something that I've questioned my entire life, and I still am asking the questions. Part of when you're a child, you don't fully know how to process all these things, just because you have a, a child's psychology you're developing still. I wrote this poem called My Looks, and what I wanted to try to do is capture the, the emotion that a transracial adoptee may feel growing up in a town that nobody looks like them, there's nothing culturally that they'd even resemble anything familiar. And what I want to do is put um, adult understanding around this in language. I hope you'll listen to this poem carefully. It's called My Looks. Mom says, I have good looks. She doesn't look like me. I like how she looks. I look like I look. I get looks for my looks. They are not good looks. They say my looks are not good. 
because it's not how they look. Looks like my looks are no good. I don't like my looks. I wish I looked like them. They look at you different than they look at me. They look at me because I'm different. I know what their looks mean. I know what mean looks like. It doesn't look good for me. Take a good look at me. I already look at me just like them. Please don't look like them. Please don't look at me. Please look at me. I wanted to share a couple things for adoptees that even though I can't see you through the camera, I do see you. You are seen. All right? There's a couple of statements that hopefully you'll just listen to and let it set in. It's not your fault. Your face matters. Your ethnic identity matters. You matter and you are valuable. And you are not required to feel any particular way about this. This is your journey and not anybody else's. When I went to Korea, I intersected Koreans, Korean adoptees of all ages, life stages, countries, and everybody's on this road together. And for us, it was a shared experience. And even though the continuum of stories ranged, we found the common ground for us to be able to build a relationship. I have relationships from that trip that I'll have for the rest of my life. And I'm looking forward to visiting some of you around the world as the years go by. It's not your fault, adoptees. I want you to hear that very clearly. This trip came on me pretty suddenly. I didn't know about the Overseas Koreans Agency until October. In October, I learned from another Korean adoptee who had been on the trip. Her name is Melissa. And she told me about it, and I had a very short time to get everything together, right? This is something that uh, I just kind of put the essay out there. Some of you have seen it on Facebook. Those days changed my life. Um, there was a lot of firsts that happened on that trip. For those of you who uh, have traveled overseas, you understand that when you go overseas or go to a different culture, it changes your perspective on things, about what's important, about what you have said is important. Um, to you realize what you take for granted just by being in the frame you're in. This next part of it I wrote uh, was called My First Time Ever. And I hope you'll listen to this to understand what some of these things meant. Now, having that child wrestling with what their identity was and having a lot of ambivalence about anything about being Korean now in their adulthood, this is what this guy experienced uh, years and years later. My first time ever with that many Koreans in one place all at once. For those of you who don't know, Korea is full of Koreans. My first time ever seeing ancient history in museums that were about my ancestors. My first time ever to discover the global community of Korean adoptees. You guys are the best group therapy ever. Some soju and some time, and we'll get it all done, folks. My first time ever to have fabulous conversations with other adoptees without having to explain the whole adoption thing. Ah, let me tell you what. So much better. <laughs> My first time ever being part of the majority. My first time ever to truly disappear into the crowd. My first time ever to have a sense of place, even though it was an unfamiliar place. 
My first time ever to feel completely at ease in unfamiliar public places. My first time ever to be in the above average height group for the entire time. Look, I'll tell you what, folks. If you're tall and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> I ain't never been the tallest anything, you know? And this was like, well, I'm above average most of the time. There are some tall Koreans in the world, I'll tell you. Uh, one of them was named Tom Evers from Sweden. Uh, he was a tall homie, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I honestly didn't know Koreans were that tall, but there's a range of us, believe it or not. And this guy was above average. Nice a life change for a second there. Um, my first ever time meeting anybody who knew me before the age of one. That was my meeting of Jong Soon. She was my foster mom for six months. And there's a little bit of that story on Facebook that you can see. My first time ever crying over airport food before heading to the plane back home. Yeah, the airport food was good, but wasn't reason why I cried over it. My first time ever to fully know that my Korean ethnic identity was not only good and special, but a part of me that is valuable and integral to who I am. There's a lot of things that awoken, that got awoke, woked. <laughs> it woke up on this trip. And there's a lot of things now that I'm kind of, you know, backlog processing. And there's still a lot of questions. But there's a healing that has happened on this trip. I want to talk about uh, something for the parents of adoptees right now because there's a lot of things that can happen when you adopt a child. Your heart is big. You bring them into your home to be able to provide a life for them. And that's good. There's a lot of complicated things that adoptees hold that I hope that you'll hear this message and allow your, the person who's adopted to have this space. And I want to speak to you because, look, folks, parenting an adoptee is tough, especially if the adoptee came to you at an age that wasn't a baby. You know, some came at you know, older ages. It's not what it's all cracked up to be. Uh, oftentimes, growing up in the environments I did, people wanted me to always be grateful for the life I had. And you have to understand that I was grateful and I am grateful, but it's complicated. That's why I said to the adoptees earlier, you don't have to feel any way about this other than the way you need to feel about it. I want to have some exhortations for the parents of adoptees. Uh, my mother, very loving growing up. There are things that we are starting to talk about now in my adulthood, and there are things I hope that you'll consider uh, from an adult adoptee speaking back to you. An adoptee's original sadness is not your fault, but it is present. You will be the primary villain in the story at some point. This is part of the healing process, and you are in a unique position to love. Don't let the presence of bitterness indicate that an adoptee is not happy on other levels. Bitterness will be part of their experience for life. It's what it is, and don't try to mask it. Just let it be part of their story and let it season those pages with some of that flavor. Sadness compressed at a high enough force expresses as frustration first and then anger and can linger sometimes as bitterness. If you want to know why Brian Shun sometimes was an angry young man, it's because he was sad. And the way I learned to keep myself safe was to compress the sadness and be angry because I had nobody that could listen to me that would understand the same way. I didn't have an outlet to be able to express that. And at the time, I didn't have the language to even know what to say. But sometimes, 
the anger that boils over for an adoptee. It's not because they're angry at the situation, like they're just full of rage and they want to go do something for the sake of that. Sometimes there's a core of sadness that has driven itself so deep into their heart that they don't know how to take it back out again. Parents, you are part of that unique, loving experience to be able to support them on their journey. Last thing I want to share is a written thing. When I came back from Korea, I started to think about what identity means. And um, it's a big topic. I still am working through it. I think as many will. There's a, a thing I wrote called the harmony of identity. And I just want you to consider what this means. You know now my particular application for it. Um, but it goes deep. In Western music, there are only 12 notes. These 12 notes in combinations and patterns expressed over time speak a language of the soul in words not formed with syllables. The richness and color of music comes not solely from melody, which is a single progression of notes, but from harmony, where two or more notes come together to create a combined sound at the same time. The space between these notes shapes how the harmony sounds, or the tonality. This tonality is unique to that group of notes and defines the character of that sound. Simpler, complex, it resonates. But did you know the best-sounding harmonies are based on a series of compromises? If you listen to a well-tuned piano, each individual note is not perfectly in tune to the exactness of its actual pitch. If it was, the instrument will sound strident and harsh and would not make you think of music. To make this instrument sound musical, a skilled piano tuner, as in a human being, will start with one pitch, generally middle C, and tune that one note to the calibration point using a tuning fork that resonates only at that specific frequency. From there, the piano tuner tempers the tuning of the surrounding notes, up or down, compared to the known reference, meaning they adjust the tuning to resonate in context with other notes to sound pleasant, but not perfectly in tune. This is done by ear, not with a tool. So what of identity? We do not choose the starting notes of our identity we are given in this life. Too often we strive to hide or diminish a note, thinking it does not or should not belong. We may overplay a single note at the expense of our own dimensionality. Or we try to make perfect each individual note and only end up in internal dissonance. When in truth, all these notes sounding together makes us special. Whether close or far apart, those seemingly conflicting parts of us give us defining character. It's a messy work of compromise and tempering and a constant need to tune and retune. But in the outworking, we find peace within the process of making the many notes within us resonate together in an imperfect harmony. Folks, this is a uh, some of the end of the prepared comments. And if technology does allow itself, I want to be able to maybe answer some questions uh, for people, if they have them, if we can try to field some of those. Um, I'll be posting pictures as well on my trip because I know some people would love to see more pictures, and I, I commit to you that I'll try to post some more. <laughs> this particular thing, because it would be very easy for me to just go in pure teacher-educator mode and teach you about 
the beautiful architecture of Korea and to teach you about all the things that I experienced and was so wonderful. But the bigger thing that happened on this trip was the internal working. And I know that if I've had those things, after being part of this group of Korean adoptees, I know that others are experiencing it. And I can, I've already had people reach out to me who have adopted children, they are adoptees, and they want to know what to do. So I want you to know that there is a global community of adoptees waiting and supporting you at whatever stage that you're at, and me being one of them. And hopefully this will be uh, not the last time that we can talk about such things like this in a format like this. We'd love to hear more about it. Um, I'm just going to wait just a moment to see if there's any questions that will come through the stream. And if Josh, if you see any, please let me know here. I will tell you a funny story as um, the it's heavy stuff. I want to lighten the mood a little bit. You know, a good movie you want. I laughed. I cried. I did all the things. Um, I'm learning Korean. Uh, my first lesson's actually tonight uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. Yes, you know, I was that guy that uh, was in the kitchen with the women, cooking the food, and doing the things because football didn't interest me one bit. <laughs> I watched it for the commercials and I watched the halftime show, and that was about it. Um, I've been learning. The song How Great Thou Art, uh, which in Korean. And the story behind that is that that was the song that my foster mom's phone all of a sudden chimed in on while we were at, uh, at our time together when I met her after the, the conference. And um, what happened is uh, it came on and we, we shared about faith and things. And so I'm learning this song. And so hopefully you'll see a video of that soon. I have a wonderful group of Korean Koreans who are helping me with my pronunciation. I've also saved screenshots of how terrible my pronunciation has been. And uh, you may ask me for a private message on that. Some of this pretty, yikes, pretty bad. But uh, this is where I'm at, folks. Thanks so much for uh, joining. I'll just wait a couple more moments. I don't see any questions popping in. But I want to thank you folks for joining on a uh, Sunday, whatever time, time zone you're in and things like that, all the festivities going on. You know how to get a hold of me. You can reach out to me on Facebook, YouTube. Uh, if you're in the uh, OKA gathering stuff, you can send me a WhatsApp message and all the different kinds of stuff. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful day. May your journey be rich, and may you find those along the way that can help you be who you are, the best that you can be. Thanks, folks. <laughs>